This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, May 11th, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. The turnover in European governments hasn't given capital markets much to cheer about, and that's because austerity really hasn't been tried. The task now, says Cato Institute senior fellow Jerry O'Driscoll, is adopting policies that can spur that reinvestment. Well, they're not credible because their actions don't uh, live up to their words. Uh, If you look at the actual uh, budgets of these countries, at least through the end of last year that I've seen, there's been no actual cuts in spending. There have been talk about cuts in spending. Uh, I I understand that some of these cuts will happen in 12, but they haven't happened yet. Most of what's called austerity – has been tax increases on the private sector. So it's been austerity for the private sector. And uh, if anything, investors, I don't think, are sufficiently uh, concerned about what's going on over there. The, the mar- uh, investors uh, have, I think, uh, been willing up till now to take politicians somewhat at their word and their promises somewhat at their word, but I think now they're beginning to have doubts. The complete collapse of Greece after it having been bailed out is very telling. Some news sources in Europe have uh, have couched this uh, fight, or I should say, to the extent that voters are are speaking at the ballot box, have suggested that well, voters don't like austerity, and they want growth, and this is presented as essentially an either-or proposition. Well, some years back, the German government did engage in a kind of austerity measures of their own, not in a crisis situation in which they eliminated some uh, transfer payment social welfare benefits and did some liberalization in labor markets. And the reason the Germany is growing is the result of their prior austerity. So far from, uh, far from austerity being anti-growth, the German example shows that when it's done sensibly and you need liberalization of markets to go along with cutbacks in government spending so resources can be reallocated uh, toward higher valued use, toward private sector activity. And the Germans came through this financial meltdown, this global recession, very well. Friedrich Hayek warned us many years ago about national plans, about uh, uh, investing power in a, in a strong man who's less accountable than uh, uh, his democratic counterparts would be. Uh, and yet countries have sort of sought to invest some power in people who are going to do the right thing uh, as they saw it. Even that seemed not to signal a credible commitment on the part of those governments. Yes. Yeah, the old model was um – Governments were unable to deal with national economic problems. There was a crisis, so they called in the International Monetary Fund, and the International Monetary Fund would come in and say, we'll give you certain amounts, so many billions of dollars, but you have to do these reforms. And they're the things the government knew they should have been doing but didn't have the political will to do. So IMF to the rescue. This is the outside agent. Well, I think this has begun to run its course. First of all – The IMF completely missed um, this financial uh, bust and global recession. Uh, Their forecasts, uh, they were very late to recognize it. We were already in the meltdown when they began to to see that that was happening. 
Professor Roland Valbel of uh, Germany has documented this in a paper. So their credibility, the IMF's credibility as a savior, as an all-knowing set of experts uh, has been called into question. They weren't short of funds at the beginning. They just didn't do anything, and this is a very interesting outcome. Uh, now they have gotten commitments from governments, but it's kind of uh, – amusing that you see these estimates that the Europeans have $700 billion or euros and then the IMF has another almost $500 million. But part of that $500 million is commitments from the Europeans to support the IMF to support the Europeans and they're double counting the money. The truth is if a country the size of Spain or Italy gets into the kind of financial trouble and I'm not predicting this but it's a probability of happening – into the kind of financial difficulties of a Greece, now you're talking huge amount of monies beyond the ability of the rest of Europe or even the IMF with some global money uh, to, uh, to stop, to, to uh, pay off all the creditors if, that, if it comes to that. So it's a, it, all of the institutions and all of the, the models for crisis management have been called into question, whether it's the national democratic model the international organization non-democratic model. Uh, the experts have been revealed not to have seen the problem coming, not to have known what to do when it was happening, and not to know how to deal with the aftermath. But again, I'm going to repeat, there was a European country, Germany, that had undergone reforms, including a measure of austerity that enabled it to be positioned to cope with the situation, and now Germany is growing. Now you say cope with the situation, but uh, these countries are bound together by more than uh, just being neighbors. They're bound together in a monetary union. How effectively can a country like Germany or another country that may pull itself out of its uh, its tailspin or or the doldrums, uh, how can they avoid the fate? of their neighbors over and above just the fact that they're neighbors and they have strong trading relationships just by virtue of the fact that they share this monetary union. Is it possible? Are the incentives uh, pointing in the wrong direction when it comes to uh, being responsible if you're going to share everybody else's fate to begin with? Well, it, this was never uh, – the monetary union wasn't defined this way. In fact, uh, there's there's a, a no bailout clause <laughs> as part of the monetary union. Countries aren't supposed to get bailed out. Of course, the first test of it, and we see they're getting bailed out. Um, and it wasn't designed for that purpose, the monetary union. And they've basically been doing it in an ad hoc fashion. Uh, it is questionable for how long the Germans are going to feel responsible for the fate of other countries that are members of this European Union uh, – this monetary union, sorry, because it's immensely unpopular with the people of Germany. They don't like these bailouts. Um, the Greeks are really at a, a, a true crisis situation at the moment. Uh, they had an election. Uh, it appears that nobody can form a government because the voting was so splintered. Uh, the radical left won the most votes, I believe, biggest chunk. Uh, it appears as we talk today that they're going to have to have another election in June. Meanwhile, uh, it's possible 
that they will run out of money to pay their bills in June or even by the end of this month, some people say. Nobody knows for sure, I think. Uh, so you will have a situation in which there's a, an acute financial crisis when there's no government. So you might say we're going to see how true anarchy works, and I don't think it'll be pretty. But you just said uh, there's a no bailout clause in the European uh, monetary uh, arrangement, um, yet countries are being bailed out. Right. Germany took many correct steps in a time of non-financial crisis. Right. And is still paying for uh, right. the, the mistakes of others and has been compelled uh, to pony up some money to help prop up these other countries. How do they escape this? How, does, how do countries that are able to pull themselves up escape the problems of these other units? Or is it not worth – is it not worth exiting the euro? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, there are a few people, uh, such as Professor Lawrence White at George Mason University, who think it's not the weak countries that will exit the euro, but the strong countries. I'm not sure I agree with him, but it is a possibility the Germans and some of the other strong countries uh, could, uh, mostly Northern European, uh, say we're finished with this, so we're leaving the euro. I think it's more likely the more immediate uh, – uh, possibility, likelihood, is that the Greeks, having literally run out of money to pay their bills, I guess it's it, maybe they'll be paying their public employees in script. I don't know uh, if that happens. Will be forced to go back on the drachma because they they can pr print their own national currency. They can't print euros, um, and that is now I think more much more of a of a possibility uh, than it has been heretofore because they're really getting up. Their backs are getting up to a brick wall and uh, you, you have to be able to pay people's salaries, their retirement benefits and if you haven't got euros, you're going to have to change the currency in which this is paid. Jerry O'Driscoll is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and a former vice president at Citigroup. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.